This is the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 41. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners. We tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and on-duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm joined by Rob Beckman from Firearms Trainers Podcast. We're going to talk about, uh, well, Rob's got some more questions for uh, your friendly local cop. First, word from our sponsors, title sponsor, Excess Sites. Check them out. Link is in the show notes. CCW Safe, legal service membership for concealed carriers and law enforcement officers, the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast, we can save you 10% off your membership when you go to checkout. Select your product and enter code OFFDUTY10 for $10 off of your, your membership. All right, as always, EDC Belt Company, the foundation belt, most comfortable, functional, concealed carry belt on the market, hands down. Check them out at edcbeltco.com. As always, all of the sponsors are in the show notes. Welcome back. Rob Beckman from uh, Firearms Trainers Podcast. And, uh, you know, last time we talked, we talked about uh, motor vehicle stops. That was one of our deals. And uh, we both kind of had some more questions. I love having you on the show because you get, you ask me the questions. So it's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and here's the first one that came up. You know, I mean, we, we talked about last time, you know, when you're in a motor vehicle stop, you know, it's yes, sir. No, sir. You take your ticket. You know, I mean, you know, you, you roll through a stop sign was doing two over speed limit, whatever it is, you're just not going to win on the side of the road. But here's the big question. If I'm a concealed carry holder, I get stopped on the side of the road and I don't get arrested, but they decide to confiscate my firearm because they were whatever jurisdiction is, that's their standard operating procedure. Um, you know, what should I do if it gets confiscated? Well, uh, if it's me after the traffic stops over, you go back to the trunk and get your backup and put it on. No <laughs> kidding. Uh, but kind of not really kidding, but a couple of things with that one, you're, you're going to have to go to that agency, find out who it is and where they're taking it. And it's kind of a, uh, it's, it can be kind of a pain to, uh, and, and I haven't heard of that happening much, but it does from time to time. If there's some other circumstances going on that they're like, well, you know, we just assume go ahead and take this. And some States it's in their statute that, that that's a no, no, uh, Oklahoma mm-hmm. is one of those. If there's not some other criminal charge associated with it or some other articulable reason, you know, then we're prohibited from doing that. But, uh, but yeah, you're going to have to go to that jurisdiction and find out what their procedure is to get it back, which brings me to kind of my second point is if you don't know the serial number to the gun you're carrying, you should have it written down or saved somewhere uh, because that gun could go into an evidence room and get, uh, you know, mismarked, mistagged or set in the wrong spot and maybe not tied in with your name. And uh, you might have to find that by serial number. So Mm-hmm. And that's all very jurisdictionally dependent. You know, some places are a well-oiled machine and some places, you know, it's a basement with a wall locker and, 
you know, some guy goes down there once a month. I mean, in a smaller agency. Yeah, and pro- probably it, it based upon the size department too. You, if you've got a small town, you know, they're going to have the, you know, locker. If you're in a big city type of thing, you know, they may have one warehouse of all the evidence and, you know, take it for, I think the most recent, you know, you hear about the shootings in, in Chicago and places like that, but they're confiscating, confiscating over a hundred guns a day. And you go along and think about, you know, if yours gets caught up into that, you know, how are you going to get it back? And one of the things that I've done is not only do I have the serial number for it, which is, but I also have a picture of the firearm that I keep filed away. So if somebody goes along and says, well, you know, describe it to me. Did it have the brown handle grips to it or did it have the black handle grips? And I can say, well, hell, here, Bob, I just show you the picture of it and you can, and we can match it from, from that. Cause I got the, in the picture the serial number easily sewn as, as well as the, uh, you know, the major, uh, characteristics of that firearm. Yeah. Something else. I like once, twice a year, I go through an inventory, all, all of my, firearms and uh you know by serial number by value all that and i keep a list of that in you know saved on a hard drive saved in on a hard copy list in my gun safe and a picture of the hard copy list you know in the photo photo vault on my phone so i've got several redundant things there but uh one of the things you gotta you know if you are carrying your concealed carrier one of the things you need to be aware of is if you do have to go get a gun back from an evidence room, it's probably going to be a two day ordeal because they're not going to give you the ammunition typically the same day they give you the gun. And that depends on the agency. <laughs> um, but a lot of them, their standard practices, we're not going to hand you a gun through the window and then hand you ammunition through the window. And I, I kind of get it because you know, some of the public, they're not as responsible as maybe like you and I, where we're not going to go, all right, well, I'm just going to load this right here at the window, <laughs> you know, Hey, I'll be out here in the car. Thanks. You know, whatever. But that, uh, it can be a real inconvenience for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I could imagine. I mean, you look at it from the officer safety standpoint and you know, yeah, they don't want to hand you a gun and the bullets all at the same time. Yeah. Even yeah, if there's am- no malicious ammunition. intent, you know, <laughs> Right. It's just not. Well, for one, if you came walking into the front of the police station and you saw some guy in front of you who just took something out from the window and started loading it in front of you, you would be freaking out at that point. Okay, what's going on? And, you know, same thing, you know, police officers, you know, walk through lobbies, you know, that, you know, looks just doesn't look right. And that's where, you know, it's separating it or maybe making you walk the gun out to your car before they come back and give you ammunition. Those kind of things may make sense. Yeah, it's, uh, well, let me get one one other little quick point on that. Uh, I know a lot of guys like to carry Gucci Glocks and uh, custom 1911s, and I had a personal friend of mine that had his $8,000 custom 1911 was stolen and subsequently recovered, and it did not make it back to him in the same condition that it went to the evidence storage. Uh whether it was the burglar that took it or the, the handling after the fact, uh, most, you know, your average law enforcement officer is probably not going to have a big appreciation for what is a, you know, a CT Brian chopper or, <laughs> you know, some, uh, a highly polished, you know, piece of machinery and everything. Yeah. I, that, I, is, that is for sure. I, I love J- Jason Burton's work is some of my favorites with heirloom precision. Um, he didn't pay me to say that cause he doesn't have to, but, uh, <laughs> I'm probably not going to tote one of those as my defensive carry gun because, uh, you mm-hmm. know, 
it would break my heart to see it hit pavement. So, well, let me ask you this, Brian, because that kind of feeds into my next question about it. What happens if I, if I'm, if I actually do use it now, obviously, and I go along and I'm going to legally defend myself, but it's going to be part of the evidence that, you know, I mean, everybody's always told us that, Hey, you know, if you're use, you know, you're going to, you're going to go along and be screened and questioned to make sure that uh, everything you've did was legit. The gun is part of the evidence for, it. Um, you know, what, what happens after that point? Because obviously, again, like we were talking about for everybody's safety and for the case, they're not going to just let me walk away with my gun, no matter how expensive it is or anything else like that. Well, and, and, you know, being in and around the circles of CCW safe, I've seen, you know, been privy to cases where things like that have happened and it runs the gamut of, you may never see it again. And they may hand you a, you know, at the end of trial proceedings, the agency may hand you a reimbursement um, because, hey, it got destroyed with all the other evidence that got purged at, you know, when you were acquitted of a crime. Uh, I've seen that. I've seen uh, the day after the interview that, oh, well, hey, the district attorney's not charging you. Great job. Slap on the back. Here's your gun and your ammo. Have a good day. Oh, okay. And then I've seen. Well, we're going to hold it until, you know, the district attorney clears it or the, makes a determination on whether they're going to file charges or not. And then I've seen them hold it and say, well, there's civil litigation going on with this gun. So we have to keep it in our, our evidence, in our possession. So there is no real predictable outcome as far as that goes. I mean, it, yeah. like I said, it runs the, the, the full spectrum of, of, of what I just described. Yeah, and I guess the question you ask yourself too is if you use it in in a you know instant like that, do you really want it back? You know, because there again, you know, every time you look at it, it's going to bring back that memory when you were in that alley and before they handcuffed you and brought you down to the station, your name got across the the, the TV and, and newspapers and everything else like that. You know, do you want do you want it or do you just want to go along and uh, you know? move on and get, and get yourself, you know, something new that doesn't have that, that kind of, uh, legacy to it. Well, and, and that, and do you want to run the risk that you're carrying and end up in a second shooting with that same firearm? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. well, okay. Hey, he's carrying this same one. He's already shot somebody with this before. So, you know, there's some of that, um, you know, we were talking off show about like, uh, mass Ayub, and he mm-hmm. brings up a lot of little, um, would you call them finite details like that? So, you know, for me, it's probably not going to be something I'll carry again. And, uh, I know, I, I know some law enforcement officers that have been in multiple shootings with the same gun. And then I know some that they get into a shooting and they, they, they stash that one away in the gun safe and it doesn't come out and ever. So, mm-hmm. because there is a, a horrendously traumatic event associated with it. So, there again as a civilian carrier i think i would probably retire that one and uh maybe maybe look at getting something else it surely mm-hmm. for the the off chance that that there's a repeat incident uh you know maybe i don't want to have that exposure with that gun again that that's kind of my two cents on it yeah from uh you know one thing being around and and you you know, read and see how, you know, lawyers, you know, defense attorneys and things like that, even the civil side of things, if you give them anything to bite on, 
you know, they, they may latch onto that and make the whole trial about, you know, you've used the, a gun in multiple shootings and, you know, doesn't have anything go anything to deal with the facts, but if they can hang it on it, then, you know, maybe they'll be able to get a bigger award from you or, or something along those lines. Yeah. And, and I'm sure, you know, you and I probably both have some really cool heirloom type pieces in our gun safe and some, uh, you know, some quasi range toys, the guns that come out at, you know, barbecues and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that's all good and well, but the ones I carry, I can, I can walk into just about any gun shop and buy the same buyer replacement, you know, uh, not throwing a plug for Glock, but, uh, you know, there's a Glock 19 in just about every gun shop from coast to coast. So (laughs) why throw, why throw a $5,000 gun on, you know? Right. Well, and here, here's a funny one. That's one of my students told me one time is, you know, you can find parts for a Glock in any gas station you walk into. <laughs> Almost. I mean, but when you think about it, if it's a gun store, they're going to have some kind of Glock parts. So, you know, that's that's what his point was about it. But hey, Brian, I got another question for you. Um, kind of going the other way. What happens if I have like a medical emergency? You know, I'm, you know, stricken, you know, by a heart attack. I fan to do something else like that. And, you know, the paramedics come, you know, what, you know, what happens, you know, at that point, because obviously I may not be able to tell them and the uh, paramedic might find it on me uh, for it. You know, what, you know, what, what happens, you know, what's the standard operating procedure for something along those lines? Well, uh, if you are in some type of event like that, and and I have actually run into this, uh, where, you know, a person's become incapacitated and it's really common in car automobile accidents, right? You know, mm-hmm. you, you get knocked out and you're in the back next, you wake up in the back of the ambulance and you're a concealed carrier in that case. Well, law enforcement officer is going to be there to investigate the accident. So probably what's going to happen is your medical personnel are going to go, Hey, officer trooper deputy whatever this guy has a has a gun on and you know we don't want to touch it you may have a paramedic that's a gun guy and goes hey i know how to get those dcc monoblock clips off your belt and secures it um it's probably not going to go to the hospital with you it's probably going to get turned over to a law enforcement officer or it's going to stay in the ambulance until a, a, a cop comes and gets it and uh it may get released to a family member, you know, wife shows up and goes, husband, my husband's a concealed carrier. And, you know, here's my concealed carry permit. I need to get his stuff. Um, mm-hmm. on the off chance, it shows up at the hospital, hospital security, or somebody is going to put that in a, a bag and it's going to go in a safe somewhere until somebody claims it, um, on a, and I've seen all variations of this over, over time. Uh, I've seen people that were incapacitated. The one, the one thing in the generation of smartphones that most smartphones have is uh, even if they're locked, there's a way that you can get an emergency contact. And I've used those before mm-hmm. on scenes where you know you pull up the iPhone or the Android and you hit the emergency button on it and it says contact so and so. You know if I'm incapacitated and you can put notes in there on like on my iPhone, it's like. Yeah, you know, I was a pretty avid cyclist for a while, and I thought, man, I would hate to be unconscious over here in the weeds and have some guy, you know, a, an ambulance show up and not realize that a, I'm an off-duty cop, and b, I'm carrying a gun in my 
spandex suit here somewhere. So I mm-hmm. that, on that emergency deal, it had my emergency contact. It had off-duty law enforcement officer, allergies, medications, PS, probably carrying a gun. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, they, they would at least have a, a little uh, forewarning on that. So. So I, well, the good the good thing I, th- I think would it you think it'd be fair to go along and say that uh, most paramedics these days are not going to be completely freaked out. You know, I, I would say 20, 30 years ago, you know, if they found a gun, it would be like, oh my gosh, you know, this is you know some criminal or you know an off you know undercover police officer or something like that, which would really you know kind of pique them. But you know, nowadays I think concealed carry is common enough to where it's like, oh, we got another one with concealed carry and move on from there. Yeah, and I, I have a couple of friends that work for uh, an ambulance service, and they they don't really seem to make a big deal out of it. But they're when they're doing medical, life-saving, whatever their procedures are, you're not going to have a gun on when they do that. And I completely understand why. Uh, you know, a closed head injury, sometimes people freak out, um, you know, or have a bad medical reaction or whatever. So they're, they're likely going to have you disarmed, uh, whether you're conscious or unconscious, and there's likely going to be a law enforcement officer there, but I don't think I'm with you. I don't think in the last 20, 30 years since it's come to prevalence, I don't think nowadays it's, it's quite as big of the, uh, you know, the red flag alarm as it might've been, Mm -hmm. you know, in the eighties. What what's your suggestion? You know, when you when you're thinking about these medical issues and things like that, if you know my wife gets there, or even if I'm, you know, I had a real bad knock on my head, and I want to go along and be, you know, upfront and tell them, you know, how do you think the best way of doing that? You know, probably screaming out on top of my lungs saying "gun" probably isn't the best thing in the world to do. But how, what do you think the best approach would be to? tell an officer at the scene or a paramedic that, Hey, you know, I got, you know, I, I got, I got a, you know, my Glock on my ankle, you know, something yeah. like that. You know, I'm, I, I got, you know, I got my Ruger in the, in the back of my pants type of thing. You know, I'm laying on the gurney so that they, you know, understand, you know, why I might, might be a little uh, in, incapacitated or uh, uncomfortable laying on my back on the gurney until they, until that gets removed. Yeah. And the flip side of that is, you know, do you want somebody trying to take a gun off of your person? uh, that doesn't know how Mm -hmm. a gun operates. Um, if you're, if you're coherent enough that you can say, you know, Hey, I have a holster on my ankle, leave the gun in the holster and just peel the, peel the ankle rig off there. And here's how that works. If you have the presence of mind to do that. uh, And then if, you know, if you have a loved one at the scene, that's, uh, you know, legal and, meets the parameters to uh, be an armed citizen or somebody that you can entrust that with. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, my wife's here. There's a gun on my ankle. She knows how to do all that. Can you get her up here to take that off of me? Or, you know, I carry an appendix rig a lot. I don't want somebody reaching into my pants and pulling my gun out of the holster to try to secure it. So uh, most of my, you know, my off-duty rigs have some, some type of clip um, mm-hmm. you know, the DCC clips or some type of monoblock clip that's, that's really rigid and say, Hey, just peel those off. Don't, you know, or cut my belt off. I know a guy that has a belt company. So if you cut that belt off, I'll just get it replaced pretty yeah, easy. Yeah. They'll probably <laughs> give me a free one. I think, I don't know. 
Is that a free replacement for a free lifetime replacement? <laughs> well, I don't want to speak out of turn, but if you get in a bad automobile accident and you get your car or, you know, your, your, your foundation belt cut off, uh, drop a line. I'm sure we can probably, you know, get you taken care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Warranty replacement. That's, that's good. I might, I might have to steal your story for advertising. You know, that'd be kind of fun, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that would be good. You know, it took the paramedics five minutes to cut through my EDC belt because it was, <laughs> because it was so stiff, <laughs> but, but they overnighted me one the next day. So, hey, yeah, whatever. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'll have to get sharper trauma shears at that point. If it takes, <laughs> if it takes me that long, but I, I mean, you remember the days when trauma shears first came out, they were cutting through pennies and everything else like that. Now you don't see that as much, but at the same time I've had a few times when they've been a little bit tough getting through some uh, thicker leather or different uh, situations like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's... What do you got for me next? <laughs> well, when it, when it comes, if we make it to the hospital and like you said, the, you know, security puts it into a vault and things like that. Um, what, what do you think, you know, how would we go about, you know, approaching the hospital security person? Because most of the hospital security I've ever ran into haven't been, you know, I'll call big gun, gun nut guys. And they probably don't have a real uh, lengthy procedure on what to do. But, um, you know, if my wife came to see me and I said, Hey, you know, make sure you get my, you know, Glock, you know, when you leave, because I don't want to be sitting here overnight while I'm in the hospital bed or something else like that. What, what would be the way of going about, you know, procuring or re- getting the return of it? Do you well, think? I, a lot of, uh, you know, what, if it, and I've run into this, if uh, a hospital staff person, typically the, uh, you know, if a hospital staff person takes it, typically it's going to be a chaplain. I know that sounds weird, but most hospitals, if they have an on-site chaplain, they're the ones that are going to bag your clothes and all your personal items, or they're going to have a designee that inventories all your, you know, watch wallet, reading glasses, you know, Mont Blanc pin, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. they're going to inventory that they're going to bag it and they're going to secure it. If you have a gun with you, they're going to bag it and secure it. And they're probably not going to let anybody take possession of that until a cop comes to make sure that who they hand that to is okay to be in possession of it. Uh, and then sometimes they'll hand it right over to law enforcement and go. And as a law enforcement officer, there's not somebody there that you can responsibly, uh, you know, bestow that upon, you're going to take it and put it into a secure evidence holding, even though it's not evidence per se, it's just a safekeeping type deal. Mm-hmm. And then let them come and, uh, you know, go through the, how, uh, what do you call it? Triple I check. They're going to make sure you're not wanted or a felon or any, it, or prohibited from possessing it and then mm-hmm. release it to, uh, you know, somebody responsibly. And it can be a process, but, uh, if I was coherent and I'm in the hospital and somebody's inventory, my stuff and I go, wife's here, get the Glock to her, please. And they say, well, it's our hospital procedure that law enforcement, well, call them up here and get them to, you know, get them to secure that. So mm-hmm. as quickly as possible, because, you know, once, if it goes into the evidence locker, then we get into the, you know, serial numbers and different things um you know i've heard a few times where they actually wanted to see receipts on it and you know 
I've kept all the information and pictures because I don't have receipts from my guns from the last uh, 30 years um, that are readable at least. Yeah. And uh, I figure if I got a picture of it, the likelihood of me being able, uh, me not being the owner would be extremely, extremely low that I can tell you serial number and show you a picture of it all at the same time. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. You touched on this a little bit about your friend, but what happens if my gun gets stolen? Ooh, good one. Uh, yep, if you know the 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 first and foremost thing is uh, you need to have a serial number, and for those of you that don't know that there's this thing called NCIC, right? It's the nationwide database of all stolen property, stolen cars, uh, <laughs> stolen people, uh, <laughs> you know, kidnapped <laughs> people, uh, names, socials, serial numbers. Uh, it, it's not some secret squirrel deal. If your car gets stolen or you have, uh, you know, your color TV gets stolen off your wall. If it has a serial number on it, that gets entered into that database for a, a length of time. And any law enforcement officer that contacts that, and there's some actual insurance agencies that have access to that information, um, they type that serial number in and it says, Hey, this is stolen from this location. Here's the report number of the originating agency. Here's the contact number of the originating agency and the originating agency keeps all of the, uh, how would you say all the, the hard data, you know, name, birth date, address, contact phone numbers and all that. So if you can get the serial number passed along, that's a really big important piece um that way if it shows up at a crime scene sometime later yeah this guy over here reported that stolen um and i've seen that many many times but but yeah call the authorities and have uh now like with computer-based reporting that a lot of agencies are using you can actually upload photos of that thing and attach it to a crime incident report it's pretty pretty cool technology uh but the but the critical thing is have you know the make model caliber serial number serial number being number one so mm-hmm. now the, with the older guns especially the serial numbers weren't unique were they because they were just unique by manufacturer it, that's true which is one of the reasons you need to have the manufacturer's number because mm-hmm. uh, I've run into that as well where I've called in a, a firearm and just called in the serial number. And they read back, hey, is that a, you know, a Winchester lever action rifle? Is that a Remington? Is that a this? Is that a that? Because the serial number range for this falls into all these categories. And then you say, okay, this is a, you know, a Remington Rand 1911. And this is the serial number. And they go, okay, is it this? And and there's several other descriptors that, that can really uh, become critical. Mm-hmm. Now, now, if my gun gets stolen and it's used in a crime, can I get that back at all, or is that going to be locked up in evidence in the, in the trial and everything else like that forever? That is likely you're probably never going to see that one again. Uh, and because it's now evidence in a crime, it is a really, really difficult process to try to uh, obtain that or, or, or to get it back. And, I, and I've seen that as well. Um, Mm-hmm. would i even want it back because if, if it's in ncic 
how would that ever get wiped out saying hey you know rob got his you know winchester returned to him so that you know if i get pulled over and somebody checks it doesn't wait a minute you know this this got stolen 10 years ago or something else like that yeah there's a record of it being stolen and recovered and then released to the owner uh there's a there's a disposition attached to uh pretty much everything in there now they purge uh, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't want to like talk out of school here, but there are certain property items that they purge out of the NCIC system. You know, your your 1983 Betamax, after a certain amount of time, they're probably just going to purge that and call it, well, it's, it's really not that critical. Um, on firearms, I don't know what the time limit on that one is or if it's indefinite. On vehicles, they're indefinite. I know that. Um until there's been uh, that, like a certain length of time, and then an insurance company can come along and say, "We've paid out for that. It's an unrecoverable loss." So they'll they'll expunge it uh, after God, I don't know how many years. I you know I, I, I'm at the end user level of a lot of that stuff, so a lot of yeah. the nitty gritty details. But uh, but yeah, if your gun's used in a crime later, you're likely never going to see it again. Which kind of goes back to my yeah. point. You know, your $5,000 custom gun looks, you know, it's a cool range toy, but uh, for the rest of us, carry something you can buy over the counter. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I, I know uh, I had a family member one time go along, get a gun stolen. And the good thing about it is if you've got like NRA membership or you've got homeowner's insurance, you can get reimbursed for that loss. Um, with you know, without too much too much difficulty. Um, in fact, all, all my family member had to do was supply the police report to the NRA, and they cut him a check for the for his loss and sent it to him. No no problems at all. Which is uh, one of those one of those uh, benefits for um, you know having having membership or having coverage on different things. But you know, if it was used in a crime, I don't know if I'd really want it back, unless of course it was you know Grandpa's 1911 from World War One, and you know has a lot of you know sentimental values from that standpoint. Yeah, but that could be tough. Tough trying to get something back once it's once it gets uh, you know used in a in a crime like that. That's tough. Uh, but I know we talked about uh, having pictures and having serial numbers. Or any, anything else um, particularly that we should have on our firearms to make sure that we can identify it and get it back from evidence uh, or property rooms and things like that. Uh, you know. I've seen people apply what they call an OAN owner applied number. Uh, that's, you know, it's unique to you or, or, or whatever and conceal that somewhere. You used to see, uh, back in the fifties, a lot of guns out of the the forties and fifties, a lot of classic vintage firearms. People would like emboss their social security number on it. I don't recommend that. Uh, I've seen not, that. yeah, you've probably, <laughs> not anymore at least. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a number of years, but uh, but but there's like police departments a lot use a uh, a micro tag, and I don't know of any <laughs> end user individual that has a micro tagging system that they can you know affordably put on their gun. I don't you know to me that's that's a little excuse me that's a little a little, uh, little ex- excessive, excessive for the average civilian yeah now with uh old revolvers and stuff i've seen people actually write their name under the you know on a, one of the grip panels or something like that mm-hmm. uh i've seen people with with uh your 
polymer striker fired guns, you know, take a, an, like a paint pen and write their name on the inside of the grip. Somehow they wedge it in there and, or write a number in there or something like that. But I, I really don't feel like that's necessary if you have your, you know, make model serial number. And, uh, you know, if you have the receipt, great. If you don't, a lot of the boxes have this, that information on it. So I don't throw away gun boxes. Mm -hmm. So, yep. They're, it's, but that's where they take up space, but they're also, uh, very nice to be able to pass on to the next owner or to have it and, uh, transport it with, you know, a lot, a lot of good reasons because, uh, majority of them are nice plastic hard sided, uh, boxes. They've got a little, uh, little, uh, piece of plastic you can lock it up with. Uh, not that I recommend it, but at least, uh, it's better than nothing when it comes to deterring a little bit of, uh, you know, criminal activity. Yeah. And I, uh, <laughs> dear friend of mine had a 1963 unfired Colt Python that still had the uh, original box papers and wax paper in it. Uh, and it commanded a princely sum as opposed to one that was outside of the box. So, you know, it, if there's a, there's a tip I can give you on buying vintage firearms, it's keep everything. Same thing with watches or guitars or any of that, you know, any of that niche hobby stuff. Um, Always best to have the box and papers, right? Uh, certificates of authenticity can uh, mean the difference between a couple dollars to you know tens of thousands of dollars uh, for like Colt Python. Uh, yeah. I'm sure. Hey, I'm sure he got some seriously good money for that being in vintage condition and with all the original uh, paperwork, to say the least. You know? Yeah. What's your suggestion when it comes to uh, spare ammo? You know, I know a lot of times uh, you know we're carrying additional ammo on our bodies and different things like that um you know you were saying that you know police would take uh possession of that but are you having uh suggestions on what to do with that because obviously you know, our magazines don't have serial numbers on them you know we can't you know get you know at least this point don't have serial numbers on our cartridges different things like that any suggestions along those lines uh just know that know what type of ammunition it was and what type of magazine uh you know, I, I carry, for example, I carry a Beretta 92 quite a bit. And they're, they are over-the-counter with Mechgar 18-round magazines now. That's their OEM mag now. Um, you know, if I have a spare mag on my person, there's a chance that that's not going to be taken. I, I've seen that happen before. Well, it's just the magazine and ammo, <coughs> especially in a... Uh, in a safekeeping type scenario, but at least kind of have an idea of, Hey, you know, I had a Glock 19 gen four mag or gen five mag with an orange follower that was loaded with 15 rounds of spear gold dot. Um, you know, if that gets taken, if that, if that's taken from your person and booked for safekeeping, you know, it's good to have a description of that. And, uh, like I know my agency's procedures, we unload the magazines and we put the gun, you know, we put the ammunition in a separate, uh, separate container, a separate envelope mm -hmm. or something. And we account for every single round of ammunition that comes out of that, that magazine or the firearm, uh, you know, even down to, it was a 15 round factory OEM Glock magazine loaded with 15 rounds of this ammunition, 
plus it was chamber loaded with one round of this ammunition or or the same um so you know most especially the the police take it uh just depends on where you're at there's just a wide variety of procedures and policies out there that uh can have a bearing on how that stuff is inventoried um and the bottom line in that though was spare ammunition uh, if you lose a magazine and 15 rounds of ammo because it got lost in the shuffle, what have you really, what are you out? You know, 20, 30 mm-hmm. bucks, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe 50, yeah. um, <laughs> small price to pay for, uh, you know, the convenience of getting your gun back at some point. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you definitely have to, uh, weigh, weigh the benefits of, uh, you know, filing a complaint versus just going along and saying, Hey, I got the most expensive part of it back. You know, I got the $600 gun back and I'll, you know, forget about the other part of it. Yeah. yeah and good. go to your local sporting goods store and buy another OEM magazine. And I don't know about you, Rob, but, uh, every gun I own, I have a ton of magazines for because that's <laughs> the number that's the Achilles heel of the gun, right? It can't work without that. So yeah, I've, I've got a, shelf full of uh glock magazines won't tell you how many but i had a number on them and i'm almost in the triple digits right now perfect you gotta you gotta have them gotta have them for everything hey brian i know we've been talking about guns but what about when it comes to you know our knives you know that nice flashlight we had different things like that you know things that you know somebody you know if they're take you know if they're taking you know my close off because they got to rush me to the operating room or something else like that. Obviously somebody's going to be inventorying that stuff, but you know, do they worry about knives? Like they worry about, um, guns and, and, you know, even there, you know, some flashlights, you know, tactical kind of looking flashlights, would they be worried about that or just throw it all in with the, you know, my shoes and, and socks and, and underwear. That's probably going to be shoe, socks, underwear, pocket knife. Uh, now depending on where you're at, uh, California is really, restrictive on what the length the overall length of that knife is and how it opens and whether it's fixed blade or lock blade or they have there are some places that get really wrapped around the axle about knives too um and there again you know i mean i'm i'm a knife geek as well i have the great fortune or misfortune of calling you know one of the former forged and fire champions was one of my, my coworkers and I've got some <laughs> nice custom knives, but I'd stick a bench mate or a CRKT in my pocket. Cause uh, you know, I just, I don't, I don't want to run the, the risk. counter. You can buy a new one, right? There you go. I'm out 30 bucks or 150 bucks. Well, which, uh, I don't carry bench maids when I'm off work very often, but, uh, just you know with the whole auto knife thing is still kind of taboo in some places but uh you know uh, you kind of gotta i don't think knives have the same uh overwhelming like impact on people's psyche when they see them that uh firearms do now that being said we've probably are all seen the movie you know rambo back in the early 80s and uh you know if, if you roll into the hospital with a you know, a 13 inch buoy knife stuffed in your pants. That's probably going to get somebody's attention, right? That's probably going to be a little, uh, not so innocuous, so to speak, but you know, somebody 
you got a Spyderco or something in your pocket, and that I don't think anybody's going to freak out over that. And it's probably. I was just, actually thinking when you said that rolling into the hospital, the knife, Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. You know, that's not a knife. This is a knife. <laughs> yeah. And uh, fortunately, my brother Sean Shropshire from SDS Customs. He, oh man, he's hard on my wallet, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not carrying that. I love that knife, and I'll take it hunting, but uh, it's not going other than to the the woods with me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got a question for you when it comes to uh, when they confiscate your firearms, you know, say like, you know, go along and, and I know on my podcast, we've talked about red flag laws uh, before different things where the police come and take things. Are they required or at what point are they required to give uh, receipts out? And what I'm specifically thinking about is, you know, during Hurricane Katrina down there in Louisiana, um, you know, they were confiscating firearms not never giving out receipts and then i know months later we were seeing all the guns and warehouses rusting away and they had no way of returning them and people had no way of really claiming them because they were never given a receipt to say what they actually did take or where it was stored at what what are your thoughts on something like that you know when and where do we get receipts well man that katrina situation was a travesty and i think the nra did a pretty fair job of trying to uh you know enact some form of justice for the people that were deprived of their second amendment right uh I'm, that one's still a sore spot with me but um yeah receipts you know that a lot of agencies don't give them they just say hey this will be logged into our report and a lot of that because there's online computer reporting and they just don't print out a receipt um if it's taken in a search warrant then there is an inventory left of what Hey, this is what we took from your property. Uh, you get a copy of that. That's a, you know, that's a mandate pretty well nationwide, but, uh, receipt wise, you know, I've had, I've had people ask me for that in the past and back in the old, uh, hard copy report days where I'm actually writing a a physical report, it was real easy Mm -hmm. to hold it up and go, look, this is where I've logged your Glock 19, three magazines and ammunition and that uh, and that usually kind of satisfied that uh I, I had a guy one night that was just adamant that i was going to give him a receipt and I, I pulled out a field interview card and went you know i so and so did this and this is what was taken and this is what's put in the report signed it and said here you know here's 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 a receipt for it okay i mean uh and it and it happened to be a gun that i i took off of a person uh, who it wasn't his gun and it wasn't necessarily uh, wrongfully taken. It was loaned and that person did, you know, nothing to nothing felonious, but it, it, it was obvious that person wasn't responsible enough to uh, uh, maintain it safely. So I, uh, I took it and the, the owner showed up, but I had no way of verifying this guy was the owner, number one. And number two, I didn't have any way of, of uh, you know, making sure. This wasn't just Joe Random coming up going, well, he, he's got my gun and I want that back. And I'm like, well, we're going to have to, <laughs> you're going to have to jump through some hurdles because I, I, I believe you, but I'm not just going to hand you this gun and ammunition and go, oh, okay, have a good day. Uh, because then when yep. your other neighbor that he took it from comes out, 
well, how's that make me look, right? You know, I mean, yeah. that's a bad Well, that's situation. where serial number pictures, exactly. receipts come in handy, too. Um, you know, storm, storm in a safe place that you can pull them up and demonstrate it, you know, very uh, quickly and easily. Uh, yeah, and, so. and that may be a situation that, you know, an officer looks at you and goes, hey, look, I completely believe you, uh, but our our protocol here is you're going to have to go down to our evidence locker uh, and have a, a background check, a quick uh, triple I check run, and then they'll give us the permission to release that to you. So it may cause you some headache, but uh, in the end, you'll likely get it back if you've got the serial number and information. Here's a question that just popped in my head when yeah. it comes about giving, getting your guns back. Do they run a, a um, uh, NC, uh, uh, the InstaCheck uh, FBI background check on you before they give the gun back? From what I understand, they don't run NICS. Uh, you know, the, the, the deal when you purchase firearm, they, they don't yeah, the, run it through the, the NICS yeah, system. Yeah, the four, uh, 4473. Right. There's a, uh, there's a little more in-depth procedure with uh, NCIC, FBI, uh, gosh, what's the other one? Department of Justice. Essentially, have you ever been to prison? And if you have, what for? Um, and from what I understand, you can request on that form. Hey, this person is trying to take possession of a firearm. Uh, it's not a purchase. They're claiming it as property and they'll run that, that background check. And it is not an instant background check. It might take two or three days. Uh, it's definitely not the NICS system. So, but mm-hmm. that's, yeah, this goes to, you know, show that if you, lose it traffic stop hospital or something else like that um you're probably into you know multi-day kind of exercising it in the back if you've got the right evidence if they come back and it's like you don't you know you don't have the serial number so we can't release it without that you could be you know rummaging through your storage bin trying to find that uh, old uh, box or something else like that to find the right serial number yeah yeah exactly yeah it's definitely an inconvenience one way or the other mm-hmm Hey, Brian, I think that's pretty much all the questions I've got about, you know, handguns and, you know, when they start getting, you know, taken, you know, whether it's on the side of the road or, you know, hospital stays and things like that. That's been a lot of good information there. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, burglary too. Not even one more? Not even one? No. (laughs) Not even one more. (laughs) I'll 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 start writing down some other questions about, you know, some other topic. Yeah, well, this... uh it's it's funny that you know when i reached out to you and we talked about doing this um our our friend and cohort and uh publisher mr paulson had sent me a list of you know topic potential topics and uh lo and behold they were like all this like rooted in the questions you just asked so i i think we may have eliminated about four and a half hours worth of podcasts and topics for uh you know, the, the future off duty on duty podcast, which is fine by me. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. And I always appreciate you, you coming on and you know, when you've had me on your show, that's a lot of fun. So no uh, problem at all. We always get in good conversations, you know, when we're sitting here talking about things, because, you know, you're law enforcement death mine from, you know, the civilian side of things, we can definitely, uh, you know, start peeling, peeling things back and, um, you know, getting a good understanding about a, you know, the rights of the civilian, but then also to the responsibilities of the civilian, because we've got to live in a, um, you know, in a world, 
to where, you know, everybody's got to get along and, and the law enforcement's kind of a, a great arbitrator out there, you know, enforcing laws, doing traffic stops, doing those kind of things. Exactly. Tough job, but something, something that's necessary. So, oh, you know, I just remembered, you know, you always give people a final thought on your show and I always, I try to give them on mine. So here's my final thought, write down your serial number. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> just, and if you don't want to write them down, at least take, take pictures a, of your gun with the serial number, because then you can go along and say, see, what's the chances of, of, you know, a bad guy having a picture of a gun that they stole? Probably not real high. Exactly. <laughs> All right, I think that rounds it out. Thanks, Rob. Give us a little music on the on the way out of here. Yeah. Episode 41. Beckman's got more questions, officer. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. As always, forgot to mention in the uh, pre-show notes, the concealed carry giveaway. Link in the show notes. Uh, you got to sign up weekly. Giving away some gear, training, product, all kinds of stuff. So uh, check that out. Sorry I didn't get that in the pre-show notes. Um, But a reminder, check out our title sponsor, XS Sites. EDC Belt Company and CCW Safe. Remember, Off-Duty 10 with CCW Safe gets you 10% off your membership. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And as always, the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.